so, uh, how to live hopefully in a sad world. Let's read that passage and then we'll get into it. Alright, Luke 20 verse 27. Some of the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to Jesus with a question. Teacher, they say, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise an offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. First one married a woman and died childless. The second, and then the third married her, and in the same way, the seven died, leaving no children. Finally, the woman died too. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be? since the seven were married to her. Jesus replied, The people of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage, and they can no longer die, for they are like the angels. They are God's children, since they are children of the resurrection. But... In the account of the burning bush, even Moses showed that the dead rise, for he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for to him all are alive. Some of the teachers of the law responded, well said, teacher, and no one dared to ask him any more questions. And you've been following along, you know, recently in, in the Gospel of Luke. I mean, they pepper him with questions, bang, 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 bang. And each time he's got something surprising to say to them that basically um, they don't have an answer to themselves. And this seems to be the end of it all, at least for now, anyway. No one dared ask him any more questions. So the Sadducees, who we have the Sadducees, not the Pharisees, not the teachers of the Lord, not the scribes. Sadducees, what do we know about Sadducees? Anything? What they believed in? What they were like? Anybody know? Anything about sad you sees? Yeah, Simon? They didn't believe in the afterlife. They had no concept of the afterlife, didn't believe in it at all. That's right. Anything else? Didn't believe in the resurrection. We know that obviously from the passage itself. Um, they also didn't believe in angels. So I have two interesting things here. That they didn't believe in the resurrection and the next life, they didn't believe in angels, and Jesus has both in his answer. Which is interesting. So you have to shy away from difficult concepts and ideas here. They were, um, they were generally rich. They were the aristocracy of the time. They liked the partnership with Herod and the Romans because it made them richer. And they weren't particularly spiritual. I mean, some of them may have been, but they weren't as a group. Their, their main thing was political rather than spiritual. But they come to Jesus because they see him really as a threat. The Sadducees, it seems, tended to be quite egotistical and certainly spiritually blind, at least from what Jesus is revealing here. So we have an interesting group of people right here. Um, they accepted only the Pentateuch, really, as being God's Word, the first five books of the Bible. And their question comes from this passage in Deuteronomy 25. If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. Why do you think this was a command from Deuteronomy here? Why, why would God give a command like this? I mean, someone's husband dies. That's, that's sad. It's tough. But I mean, why, why, why would this instruction be here? Just a thought. Any ideas as to why God would do this, Barry? Which needs to be taken care of at that time. 
Okay, there's no social services, there's no uh, benefit payments. So, okay, that's part of it. And the other part of it? Keeps the land in the family. It's keeps the land. Keeps land in the family because land is a huge deal for the for Israel, promised land. Keeps land in the family. And it uh, populates the land. Have children. Have children for your brother because it populates the land. That's the, the promised land that they're going to go into when they're in you know, Deuteronomy. They're still on the borders of the promised land. So there's a, a command here before people build, and it's partly about compassion, and it's partly about um, the land and the promises of God. So that's kind of the background to what's going on here. Right. Now I've got some work for you guys to do. Make sure you stay away from this. All right, fellas, could you pass these out? Should be about one, enough for one each. The first part of our sermon is this. I'd like you to think about this passage. What are the differences between this age and Jesus' reply? We know what strategies we're up to here, but Jesus' reply. What's the difference between this age and the age to come from what we can see in this passage? What's the difference? So talk to someone near you and make some notes. So I'll grab someone next to you. Talk about this for two minutes. What can you see is different between this age and the age to come from what Jesus says there in verses 34 to 38? What is different? All right, then, what do we reckon? Differences between this age and the age to come according to Jesus in this passage in Luke 20. What do you think? Uh, any ideas? Yeah, no, I beg your pardon? Okay, there's death in this age. There's no death in the age to come. I wonder whether we would dare close that door. What do you think? Just for now. I know it's locked, but. Somebody is having fun out there with a blower. Okay. Um, where were we? There is no death in the age to come. Okay, there's death in this age, not in the age to come. Patricia. Um, riches in heaven temporary, riches in heaven eternal. Thank you. Good, okay. Others? Differences? Married, not married. Okay. Keep your marriage, can't keep your marriage. Okay, there is marriage in this world, or rather people are given in marriage, and in this world there is marriage, but there isn't in the next world. What that means exactly for married couples, Jesus doesn't spell out. It's interesting, he doesn't actually say what that means. Anyway, so, mm, mm. may it be that we're still the marriage contract continues in the next life. It doesn't actually say that. What? Either way. <laughs> so, anyway, that's a story for another time. Okay, but there's definitely people get married in this age and they don't get married in the next age. Okay, right. What else is different? Procreation, no procreation. Okay, procreation, no procreation. Why? Once we're in the next life, there's no procreation. Yeah. Excellent. Barry, you got something? Uh, it says. Okay, not all of those children at the moment, some are, and but all in the next all in the next life, in the next age rather, will be God's children. Very good point. Thank you. That's true. Good. Anything else? Any more for any more? Sickness. No sickness. Okay, the sickness in this because it leads to death, for one thing. Right? And there won't be no, but no. Ultimate. Yes, 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 that's right. Good. Okay. Good. Fellas, anything? Well, I was thinking of focusing on the passage, but if you want to chuck something else in, I don't mind. Come on, Pat. Share with Richard. I just thought it was a general 
okay? There are definitely cars in this world, and there may not be in the next, as far as we know. How are we going to get about? We don't know. Yeah, it may happen, yeah, very. It also says Okay, alright, we are not like angels, we will be like angels, that's a difference for our state, right, which connects with the death thing, you know, we have a state in this world where we are temporary in our bodies, but not temporary in the next, Ben? No. Oh, you just wait for the And there's a set number of angels, Well, it'll be interesting to find out, won't it? So we have, we have marriage, no marriage, we have... We have death and no death. We can no longer die. In fact, you can't die in the next page. Um, and our personal being and our nature is different. We are not fully children of God because we are, in one sense, we're adopted in this in this world, but but we're not fully children of God. In, in right? Yeah. Unperishable, perishable. Perishable, unperishable. That connects with the death idea. And also in this world, we are not like the angels, but in the next world, next age, we are like the angels. It doesn't mean we are angels, but we're like the angels. And maybe that's how we get around. I don't know, maybe we fly around like the angels. They were like the angels in the next world, so who knows? And we have a temporary life here, but we have an eternal life. And in fact, we have a corruptible life, and we have an incorruptible life in the next age. We are raised to a new life, an eternal life. Only the worthy get it. So, um, it, it seems to say here, right? So there's a, a worthiness uh, issue here, which is interestingly says this: um, the people of this age marry, given in marriage, those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. Okay, a few thoughts on this. Um, if we believe in the next age, then how should we live? I think that's really the question. How should we live? And the first thing I think we should do is live soberly. We should look, we'll talk about expectation and looking forward in a moment. But first of all, soberly, because he does say here that it's the worthy who take part in the age to come. Now, of course, worthiness is not about our nature. We are, none of us, worthy of the next age with God forever. But there's a soberness that kind of makes us worthy in the sense that if we're sober about our mortality and about our need for God, and if we seek Him with all of our heart, it demonstrates what I think the Bible says is a worthy heart. Matthew chapter 10 talks about that idea of go and seek for someone worthy and share the gospel with them. So it's not that they are deserving, it's more that they have the right responding heart. And that's something that many of us here have already done. We've already had that worthiness of heart to respond to the gospel. Some of us haven't yet done that out of stubbornness or out of lack of opportunity or out of just it not being the right time in life, and that's fine. But what I would say is that we must choose while we have life. While life is in the body, we must be sober and choose so that we can have a future with God eternally. And that's going the wrong way. So Luke 13, you know, this is awful what happened this week in, um, in West London. I mean, um, I've, we lived not too far from there one time many years ago and there are many people in the church that we would know live near there or grew up there and of course it's still unfolding all the circumstances and not going to go into that but it reminded me of this thing in Luke 13 where Jesus said those 18 who died in the town of Siloam fell on them do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no but unless you repent you too will perish 
And so it's not about physical death, exactly what Jesus is talking about here, but you know, there was a tragedy in Jesus' time that was in the news. Everybody knew about this tower falling on 18 people who died. Um, tragedy happens. Uh, we don't know when, as Penny said, we don't know when the end will come. The question for us is to be sober, to be ready, right? That's, that's the first thing, is to be sober, so that we're ready for when the time comes. Um, a verse that I find useful. Is 1 Timothy 6. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. We all put our hope in something. This is one of the things about human nature. We all put our hope. It's not just we have a feeling of a, of a hope, like a, like, a, like a dream, but actually I think we have a concrete sense of hope. There are things that bring us a sense of satisfaction, of joy, of meaning. And I think it's what he's talking about here. Don't put your hope in wealth. And of course, there you could, you could spread that imagery more widely than just money into just stuff. Don't put your hope in the material because that's not going to be in the age to come. I mean, we have this material stuff here, but the things that we own in, in that sense now, we're not going to need to be... But that won't be an age to come, and it won't be something we're concerned about. Instead of having hope in this world, in material things, put your hope in God, who will reward you and give you what you need. And I think that's something for us to be sober about. But secondly, I think the main point I want to get across here, I hope, is that we can live hopefully. When Jesus teaches this, the Sadducees don't get it. They still are not happy with him. Uh, somebody made the joke that the Sadducees are sad, you see, because they don't have any hope for the next life. Um, and they don't have that sense of where is God taking us. One of the most exciting things about being a Christian is that we know where God is taking us, and it then affects how we live. It's not just about someone said, don't you believe in pie in the sky, by and by. No, it's not about pie in the sky, by and by. It's about a concrete, confident expectation of what God will do, based on what he's already done at the cross and the empty tomb, and how that affects our lives. We live the resurrection. We live the resurrection hope. And that signifies to the world that there is more to this life than just what we see and uh, what's around us. And so that's really what's going on I think, here, is this strong sense of hope. Um, some uh, mention this, that if death is the great leveler, then the resurrection is the great opportunity. And we can get all maudlin and a bit negative about, about the sadness of death, and of course it is a sad thing, but that's not the end. The resurrection is the great opportunity that we have and everybody in this world has, if we should take it. Great opportunity. We will be like the angels. We will never die. My favourite song when I was um, in my late teens, early twenties in terms of a Christian song, it was a song called um, uh, I Will Never Die. It was called, let me just find it, the title of it, I remember the, the lyrics and everything. Um, it's a song that was sung in churches as I was growing up in the 70s. I was once in darkness. That's what it's called. Yeah, you know? That's the one. Okay, he knows it. And the, the lyrics are just great, and it's very simple. It's a one-verse song. I was once in darkness, now my eyes can see. I was lost, but Jesus sought and found me. 
Oh, what love He offers. Oh, what peace He gives. I will sing forevermore, He lives. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Father. I am shielded by His Word, Your Word. I will live forever. I will never die. I will rise up to meet Him in the sky. And so it begins with the idea that Jesus lives forevermore, and then I will live forevermore. I will live forevermore. I will never die. I will rise up to meet Him in the sky. I sing over and over to myself. And I just, that idea that I will never die. I didn't deserve that. But I will never die. Be with God forever. What an amazing thing. What a thing to give us hope for the way that we live in this life. A resurrected life. Not everybody has a resurrected life. Everybody will be raised to judgment. But that doesn't mean that they will have resurrected life. A different thing. We get resurrected life. New bodies and new life. What an incredible promise and an incredible joy. So, um, thank Corinthians 3. If what was transitory came with glory, talking about the law, the old covenant, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are very bold. Talking about the ministry of the Spirit in the context here of 2 Corinthians uh, 3 here. We are therefore very bold. And here's, here's a thought, and I'll finish with a couple of ideas here. I think when we are, when we understand as we have this promise of the next life, when we actually have that hope, and when it's real to us, it affects the way we live, and in particularly it affects the way we pray. The way we pray reflects whether this coming new life, this new age, is reality for us. In our, really in our hearts and in our minds. It affects us there perhaps more than anywhere else, I would suggest. Because when we have that faith in the next life, we pray more boldly, with greater expectation. And we live with greater boldness, because boldness doesn't necessarily mean loudness. You can be bold and quiet. Courage is necessarily loud or um, or in some way no, very noticeable, but it is something that's very real. Living with courage comes because we know where we're going. It's been interesting for the last two meetings with the men in the church, we've been talking about vision and our vision for our local area. And it's been good to talk about that because if we, if we have a handle on, on this powerful promise, it affects how we live locally. How we interact with our neighbours, how we the kind of vision we have for Croxley Green or Chorley Wood or Cheshire or Aylesbury or uh, Bushy, Watford, Leesden, different parts, wherever we live. If we if we don't have a vision for where we live, it may be simply because we don't have a clear vision for where we're going. And a real confidence in it. When we have confidence in that. I think it affects how we pray and then how we live where we are. I believe, uh, I think it was Bill Hybels once said in a book I read, that he said something like, I, I believe the local church is the hope of the world. And I like that and I believe that. The local church is the hope of the world. The global church, um, the church worldwide is an awesome thing, a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing that we have all around the world. But that's not the hope of my world and where I live and the people around me. The hope for the world is local church. If, the, if we can affect the people around us, it will affect so many other people, so many other things. And that, some of that is, much of that is to do with the confidence we have of where we are going to be with God forever. It makes us bold. I really want to encourage us to be bold as we think about some upcoming events. In a few weeks, no, yes, in a few weeks in, uh, in July, 
We'll be meeting at the bandstand in Watford for church, with the northwest of the part of the London church. Uh, we'll be there at the bandstand. We'll be there singing and praying and having a good time and having a bring a picnic. Um, it's going to be a wonderful occasion sometime later in July. I, I want to encourage us to think about who we can bring to that. Who needs to know about this hope? And who might come, especially people local to where we live? Or, um, in fact, next Sunday, at Dunstable Downs. We're not going to be here, right? We're going to be at Dunstable Downs, 11 o'clock in the morning, and going out, walking along, along this path to this promontory here, where you can see all over parts of Bedfordshire and, and uh, Bucks. And, and it's, it's an astonishing, lovely place. And we're going to be there and uh, pray and sing and, and have some time of worship, but then picnic, uh, picnic together again. Maybe, maybe some of our friends would come to that. Let's be bold. And, of course, then also we're going to Debbie's place. <laughs> we respect you crawling in the mud. That's all I can say. This is like a final Facebook, I'm sorry. But, uh, so we're going to go to Debbie's place for a barbecue, a church service in her garden. That would be great too, right? And I, I, I expect you'll be a bit cleaner than that. That's right, okay. All right, so... You know, there are different things that, that God can use to help connect people with us and then with this eternal hope, this new age. I encourage us. Think about it. Pray about it. If we believe in the power of God to raise Jesus from the dead, then we believe that God can use us to have other people to come to know this great God and to know this new life, this wonderful new life, this amazing new life, a life where we will no longer die. We will be like the angels. We will be God's children, children of the resurrection, living forever with God. What an amazing promise. So, practical suggestions. How can we help this grow in our own hearts, this hope, this sense of living hope? Well, I would suggest uh, that four things that we might want to do in our prayer times. This is for prayer, okay? And it helpfully spells hope. There you go, all right? How about some prayer times this week that have these four components in them? Number one, we begin by praying about heaven. And I don't just mean about like heaven as a concept, but the idea of this new life that we've looked at briefly here in this passage in Luke 20. The new life that we will have, where we're like the angels, we have eternal life, we never die, and we're children of the resurrection. That, that age for heaven, praying about that next life. I think we get focused on that, it helps the other things. Secondly, praying for other people. Praying that we'll have the boldness, because of this hope, to share this good news with other people. So praying for people by name that we know and love. Thirdly, praying for patience. Because also one of the things about this is, it's, it's tough, isn't it? You pray for people week after week, year after year, and you don't see any spiritual progress. Amen. We all know people like that. We love people like that. If, if we have this hope, while we're still alive, we have breath in our bodies, we will still pray patiently. So we ask God, give us patience for the people like this. And fourthly, crucially, we pray with expectation. We pray with expectation. Jesus went to the cross only because he had the expectation that God would raise him from the dead. And we're going to share our faith and love other people because we have the expectation that God will do something powerful through us. Not because of who we are, but because of the ministry of the Spirit working in us and through us. Four things to pray about, or four steps in prayer that we could use this week to pray so that we live hopefully and therefore please God. Oh, that's helpful. God be the glory of Amen. <laughs>